Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the Spirit within the Stone Campbell Movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we may all be one. And now, here are your co-hosts, Megan Rollins and Kevin Whitham. Welcome to another Common Ground Unity podcast where we seek to have conversations and dialogue with fellow believers in the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement, uh, really seeking to honor the plea of our Lord Jesus when he prayed uh, that his followers would be one as he and the Father are one. So I'm Kevin Witham, uh, one of the hosts of this podcast, along with Megan Rawlings. And how are you doing, Kevin? Doing great. It's so good to be back again with uh, with you and with Bob Russell again. Will you give our guest uh, another brief introduction? Yes. Listen, Bob Russell is one of my favorite preachers. My favorite's my husband, but you're a very close second, Bob. (laughs) um, Bob started or helped uh, build one of the largest churches, Christian churches in America, Southeast Christian Church. He is now um, the one who runs Bob Russell Ministries. He continues to preach at churches and conferences. He writes books, but his passion is mentoring other ministries ministers, which is so needed in today's climates. He has a wife and her name is Judy and she is as sweet as tea, sweet tea, not regular tea. That was a bad. (laughs) Anyway, they've been married for 54 years. They have um, two sons who are married, Rusty and Phil, and then their sons have seven children. And now Bob is a great granddaddy. And uh, he loves golf, and he is a very sad University of Louisville football and basketball fan. Bob, how are you? I'm doing good, Megan, and thank you for that kind introduction. I'm a big fan of your dad, and you're a real tribute to your to your dad. And uh, I think you've got a wonderful family. You've got a great heritage that you come from. Well, thanks. Yeah, I, I like uh, Scott. We'll keep him around for now. <laughs> Yeah, he's a good guy. So, Kevin, why don't you kick us off with some questions? Absolutely. Well, Bob, it is so good to be back with you again for another uh, podcast. And and you mentioned Bob as uh, your your favorite preacher. I'll tell you, um, through my years, I've been in ministry for many years. Um, Bob Russell has just been a favorite of mine as well. And I want to mention to our listeners, he's got a number of books out, but two. Uh, that we've talked about in this podcast and that I know are available and that I, I would encourage people to to pick up and obtain and, and read. They'll bless your uh, life and your ministry. One is when God builds a church, it goes back to 2000, and we talked some about it in our last podcast. And then another that is uh, particularly relevant to Common Ground Unity is Together Again, a book that he co-wrote with Rick Atchley back in 2006. Um, that book is one of those that uh, I think inspired a lot of people to start thinking more in terms of unity among, uh, restoration churches. So as we were coming to the end of our podcast last time, we were talking about 
uh, and asking Bob about progress we've made, some of his hopes, some of his concerns. And just to kind of take up there, Bob, what steps would you encourage uh, local churches and, uh, you know, congregations and cities to take that might foster more unity among believers? Well, I would say, first of all, if you are a preacher or if you're in leadership in a church, one of the healthiest things we can do is to exchange pulpits. Exchange pulpits with uh, a person from the other side of the piano and have them come in and preach the word of God and treat them like a brother. And that goes a long way towards softening the attitude of the people sitting in the pew. And if you're sitting in the pew, uh, reach out to some people of uh, the opposite side and uh, have them in your home or invite them to come to church with you to a special program and read some of the literature, some of the magazines uh, that, are, that are coming from uh, our brothers on the other side of the, of the piano. And, you know, so much of it is just attitude and being able to treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Absolutely. Hey, Bob, in Together Again, there's a passage that reads, we have fought hard to maintain our doctrinal purity, but we have often failed to maintain one of the most fundamental doctrines of the New Testament, the unity of the church. That's right. Unity is sound doctrine. However, we have subordinated this clear doctrine to less significant ones because they distinguish us from other groups. We've chosen to divide over many issues that do not rest or um, are on nearly as solid as biblical foundations as the doctrine of unity. Could you talk to us about unity as sound doctrine? Well, we get our doctrine from the teaching in Scripture, and there's a whole lot more in Scripture about brothers and sisters being one than there is about some of the things we've emphasized uh, over and over again. There's a lot more about unity than there is taking communion every Sunday or eldership in the church or local autonomy or uh, even baptism by immersion over and over again. Jesus, on the night before he died, his prayer was, Father, may may they be one as I am one in you so that the world may believe that you have sent me. One of the biggest detriments to evangelism is the division that occurs in the church. We don't work together and and the world scoffs. How how is it you feel like you have the truth whenever you guys can't even be together? And then think about all the appeals in Scripture to be unified. Paul wrote the Corinthians and he said, uh, some of you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm I'm of Christ. Uh, I, I wasn't crucified for you. They said there's one body and one spirit. And then there's that phrase, make every effort, every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so unity is a doctrine taught all the way through scripture. In fact, unity was uh, one of the two prongs of our movement. Our movement wasn't just to restore New Testament Christianity. Our movement was to unify the, the church based on going back to the Bible. There was a purpose in using uh, the Bible alone as our rule of faith and practice, and that was to unify Christians so that we could evangelize the world. Mm. I think, Megan, 
it, it really is important to, to understand the kind of climate that our movement came out of. Uh, Thomas Campbell came to America, and he was a preacher in the old light anti-burger seceder Presbyterian church. Now think about that. Every, <laughs> every one of those names signified a division that occurred in the church in the late mid late 1700s. And so there were the the old light and the new light, and the burgers and the anti-burgers and the seceders and the orthodox. And Thomas Campbell was a preacher in the old light anti-burger seceder Presbyterian church. He comes to America uh, prescribed to, uh, uh, for his health. And you know what? When he came to frontier America, there wasn't, weren't very many old light Anaburger seceder Presbyterians. And so he had like missionaries going to a foreign field today who gravitate towards somebody who believes in Jesus. He had to uh, fellowship with people other than the little sect that he had been uh, identified with uh, before coming here. And he discovered these people loved the Lord. And he began to think about the divisions that occurred. And uh, eventually uh, he he's, invites Christians just to unite on the word of God, but to be united so that we could have uh, a, a, a common testimony so that we could win the world. And about that same time, now that was a revolutionary idea in a day when there was, there was such stark differences between the denominations. About the same time, uh, here in Kentucky, at Cane Ridge, Kentucky, Barton W. Stone was a preacher in a Presbyterian church, and he was coming to many of the same conclusions. And he began to ask people just to worship on the Bible alone. We had great slogans, no book but the Bible, no creed but Christ, no name but the divine name. And... Uh, where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we are silent. We're not the only Christians, but Christians only. And those were revolutionary slogans. And they appealed to people who were tired of the denominational divisions that separated them. Uh, a guy named Lewis Cochran and his wife Beth wrote a book called Captives of the Word. I want to read to you uh, from the flyleaf of that book. The boldest Protestant Reformation since the time of Martin Luther spread across the frontier like wildfire, destined to be the most fascinating chapter in America's religious history. And this was a revolutionary idea in the 1800s. Sometimes entire churches would say, we don't need to be identified with this denomination. Let's just be Christians only. And the, the idea captured people's imagination because there had been so much division among Christians. That was the the birth of our movement. But what happens with any movement is that people become proud of their doctrinal purity or of their accomplishments. And one way to feel superior is to come to believe uh, that we're the only ones. Hmm. Since we have this right position, we're superior to everybody else. And we begin to exclude other people. Then we begin to divide over uh, minor issues. Uh, and, and that's what happened even in our movement. Uh, in the Just prior to the Civil War, we, we divided over missionary societies and whether the silence of the Bible gave permission or whether it prohibited. We divided over uh, the use of the piano or not the use of the piano. And I can understand how people would have 
opinions about those things. You know, originally the church sang without any musical instrument. And when somebody drags a piano in, one guy, uh, I think his name was Pinkerton, um, brought a piano into his church in Midway, Kentucky, because he said the, sing, the singing was so bad in our church, it scared even the rats from worship. <laughs> so he said, we, we've got to do something about it. So he brings in a piano. In, in that day, where did people hear a piano? Primarily in the saloons. And that sound communicated a worldly atmosphere, a worldly attitude. And it was it was kind of like my mother we, we were in a church that used a piano, but when somebody brought a guitar in, uh, boy, that was that was going too far. And then somebody dared to bring in a saxophone, and that, that was really, really bad. So this is the way it was in, in the mid-1800s. Somebody brings in a piano, and the church divides over methods, not doctrine, but methods of worship. Then came the Civil War, and uh, churches began to divide a little bit politically about whether you're for the North or for the South. And most of the Southern churches in our movement uh, went with the uh, acapella branch, called themselves Churches of Christ. Most in the North uh, went with the Missionary Society and the piano, called themselves Christian Church, or they were also some kind, sometimes called Churches of Christ. And then the Christian Church split over uh, liberalism, and you got the Independent Christian Church and the Disciples. And here this movement, it was started by Thomas Campbell, Barton W. Stone, to be a unity movement, and the unity movement based on, let's just let the Bible speak, and where it speaks, we'll speak, and where it's silent, we'll silent. Now it's it's divided, and uh, uh, there's, a, there, there's a bad attitude toward the other side. And so there, we're coming full cycle now, I believe, in which we say, hey, I've got to say, soldiers in the barracks can afford to get into an argument over a card game. But soldiers on the front line of battle better stand together because it's life or death. Mm. And we're in a life and death struggle for truth today. And, uh, it, and you know, the Bible talks about uh, when we abandon God, uh, thinking themselves to be wise, they become fools. And we've lost all common sense today. Men competing in sports with women and calling themselves girls and defunding the police and some of the ideas that we know instinctively are just bizarre. And while that's going on in the world, we can't be over here bickering about whether we use a piano or a saxophone or whether we uh, uh, support missionary societies or not. And Rick Astley said something to me one time that I've never forgotten. He said, Bob, you know why so many in the acapella Church of Christ are now willing to use instruments? He said, isn't we've won over on a doctrinal uh, argument? The reason is we're losing our kids. Mm. And he said, we can no longer afford to bicker over these kinds of, of ideas and, and losing our kids. I remember Leighton Ford telling an illustration years ago about in 1917 when the communist revolution was taking place on the streets of Petrograd. He said the Russian Orthodox Church 
was having a conference in the same city where these uh, this revolution was taking place on the streets, and the priests were arguing over what color vestments they should wear. Mm. There's a revolution, a moral revolution, a cultural revolution going on, and we can't be bickering over minor things. It's time to drop those differences and stand together toe-to-toe with others who are followers of Jesus Christ. Bob, you uh, you and Rick in your book together again, and this kind of this kind of follows with what you're describing here. Um, you wrote it's on page ninety four. The founders of our movement didn't introduce the idea of restoration for the sake of doctrinal purity alone. They wanted to unite all Christians on the scriptures for the sake of world evangelism. Um, I think we're in a time where we're seeing the need for that unity for all the reasons you've just described um, more than ever before. And and yet, I know we have uh, folks who would say, boy, we want to still be restorers. We want to be interested in being people who go to Scripture to inform our faith. So could you talk a little bit how to about how to balance those two important things, being pursuers of truth, but seeking unity, seeking this common ground and bringing believers together. I think that's a challenge for all of us who respect the authority of Scripture and hold a high view of it, but want to have the greatest degree of unity that, you know, to fulfill that prayer of Christ in John 17. Yeah. I, I really don't think that is a difficult challenge. I think it's like the two prongs of a nutcracker. You, you've got to have both. <laughs> and the way to have unity is to exalt Christ and to teach and preach the Bible. I'm a big fan of expository preaching. And uh, I encourage preachers, just start and take 16 weeks to go through the book of Ephesians if it takes you that long. I don't say I'm going to preach a series on the book of Ephesians and have select your four favorite verses. Just go through it verse by verse and preach in the same balance. It, it, that helps you to avoid uh, on a riding a hobby horse and you, you stay balanced in the truth and unity and joy and reverence and just preach the Bible. And the Bible is amazing in his, in his drawing power to bring people to Jesus Christ and to bring about unity. And you know what? When, when the Bible is taught, Christians are fed. And it doesn't matter what denomination they come from or what their particular opinions are. When they come in, they hear the Bible taught. It, it is amazing how the truth rings true. Uh, we had Chuck Colson preach for us one Easter. And my father-in-law, a wonderful guy, but he, he was a restoration guy. And he was a little bit upset with me that I had Chuck Colson, uh, the former Watergate uh, invo- person involved in Watergate, right. Uh, rested and went to jail, wrote the book Born Again. One of the most brilliant people I've ever been around. But when he was upset with me because I had Chuck Colson, because he had a Baptist background. And we got up, went to go to church and he said, well, I don't know whether I'm going to take my Bible or not. He probably won't even use it. (laughs) (laughs) But he preached, Chuck Colson preached this powerful, powerful message about Pontius Pilate before Jesus. And he said, what is truth? And he said, I want to tell you what is truth, and that's Jesus Christ, and died and buried and rose again. And, I mean, it was moving. 
And at invitation time, my father-in-law was in the second row with me, and he got out of the seat, and I thought he was going forward to rededicate his life. <laughs> he went up, and he shook hands with Chuck Colson. And he said, Brother, that was a wonderful message. Hmm. And I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. Mm-hmm. There's, when, when we just teach the truth of the Bible in the balance in which it is written, it draws all men to Jesus Christ. So I don't think we have to compromise the Bible at all to, to be unified. In fact, if, if, if we start compromising Scripture, that's, that creates disharmony because dedicated Christians are going to bristle up at that and say, hey, we're, we're compromising truth. And, and the, the, the way to bring about unity is exactly what our forefathers said. Let's just stand alone on the word of God and for the purpose of unity, for the purpose of evangelizing the lost. Bob, speaking of the word of God, um, our mission as a church, um, especially since Christ ascended into heaven, is uh, the Great Commission. And that runs deep in our uh, Stone Campbell Movement DNA. Is it a reasonable statement to say that we have sometimes relied too much on our works of correctness and intellect and not enough on the Holy Spirit? Well, I, I think that's a valid criticism sometimes of our movement. You can't make sweeping statements. But, you know, even uh, Thomas Campbell, Alexander Campbell, disagreed with uh, Barton W. Stone on the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Barton, uh, Thomas Campbell almost reduced the Holy Spirit to only when the Bible is used does the Holy Spirit work. And Barton W. Stone believed that the Holy Spirit worked in conversion and and, uh, was a third person of the Trinity. But Uh, I I think we're doing a whole lot better about that in recent years. I hear a lot of talk in Christian churches and Church of Christ about uh, the the Holy Spirit moving in your heart right now and the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. And I I hear a lot more talk about the Holy Spirit in our churches than I did 50 years ago. One of the mistakes we made, I think, and our movement hasn't been perfect by any stretch. I, I love our movement, but we haven't been perfect either is that we reduced, sometimes we reduce salvation to a plan uh, rather than the man, Jesus Christ. When I was a boy, I learned the five-finger exercise. And the five-finger exercise was hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. (laughs) And uh, you hear the gospel, you believe the gospel is true, you repent of your sins and you confess Christ publicly and then you're baptized and you are saved. I could go over that five-finger exercise and never mention the cross. Hmm. I could I could go over that without saying that. That to me was the plan of salvation. But the plan of salvation goes deeper than that. The plan of salvation goes back to the fact that we are sinful and destined for hell and that God in his great love came down to earth in the form of Jesus Christ and died an atoning death on the cross. And uh, that uh, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then to prove that he was the son of God, he arose bodily from the grave. And, you know, when we exalt Christ and say, Jesus died for you, 
and he invites you to come and give your life to him. Now, here's what you do to give your life to him. That has so much more power than just saying, here's the plan of salvation. Here, repent, confess, and be baptized. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I've, I've seen, and, and you can go to church websites today and look up the plan of salvation, and it's it's the five-finger exercise. Here, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And perhaps that goes toward what has created so much disunity. We, we have focused too often on our response, on what we do, how we get things right instead of what God has done. And boy, you've, you've stated that just so clearly that we're to be enamored with what God has done and Amen. what he's done in Christ. Amen. And this is our response to it. We had, and uh, we, go ahead. We had an Easter pageant that it took years to develop, but I mean, it was, what was the word Megan used? Riveting. Riveting. <laughs> Good word. It, it just began with the birth of Christ and went through. And the last half hour was the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I would see people come in. 70,000 people would come to this thing over the course of eight or 10 nights. And I would see people come in from the world. In the first few minutes, they would giggle and nudge each other. And by the time the crucifixion came, they were on the edge of their seat and totally silent. But Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them into me. And I remember one night, half hour after the, the uh, pageant was over, there were these two young women seated on a bench in the lobby. And one of our counselors went over and said, can I help you? And they said, yes. And they went on to confess that they had been living in a lesbian relationship and they felt guilty and they wanted to be forgiven. Nothing, nothing was said the entire presentation about homosexuality or, or uh, sin. It was just that scene of Jesus dying on the cross and understanding that he was dying for my sin that convicted these girls. And it is the power, the power is in that cross. The power is in that gospel. And if, if Christ be lifted up, he'll draw all, all men to him. Well, that is, that's a powerful statement right there. Looking at what God has done, Christ lifted up. Um, there, there's a statement in the book um, where you quote, uh, well, it's after you're, you're quoting of Psalm 133. And, and here's the statement. If God bestows his blessing where brothers meet in unity, is it unreasonable to assume that God would withhold his blessing when brothers refuse to do so? Well, that's a, that's a convicting statement in and of itself. What lessons should we be learning? Uh, you know, if we want to see another great awakening, a revival within our congregations and communities because of what's happening in our congregations or society as a whole. You know, I, uh, Megan mentioned in, in the introduction, I have two sons, and I'm so thankful today that my two sons are very close and they get along. One's a policeman and the other's a preacher, so we got love and justice in our home. <laughs> but I got to say, one of the saddest days, ever, saddest days I ever had as a father, I heard a ruckus upstairs, and my two teenage sons were fighting with each other so angry that they were throwing fists at each other. And it broke my heart. And 
if you have children, you want your children to love each other the way you love them. Mm. And it breaks your heart to see them fight. And when the psalm says how blessed and how good it is when brothers dwell together in unity, 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called sons of God. He's our Heavenly mm -hmm. Father. And we shouldn't be bickering and throwing blows at at other Christians. And I, I, I think one of the responsibilities of the leaders of the church is to put themselves in a position where they can receive the blessing of God. Now, not, not all churches can grow rapidly or multiply, but we have to put ourselves in a position where the Holy Spirit can bless our church. And the early church, we say we are restoring the church. How the first church start? They were all together in one place. <laughs> then came the Holy Spirit. Then came the preaching with power. Then came 3,000 baptisms. But it began with the spirit of they were all together in one place. And, and the church today needs to make an effort to, to be united. Christian people should love one another. And uh, I think that's the beginning point for revival. I participate in a prayer group and have for the last six months. We meet every Sunday afternoon at 4.30. That's almost the worst time that you could possibly meet, other than 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> but we come together, and it is a prayer meeting. It's not a prayer request meeting. It's not a preaching meeting. And to hear these people, sometimes 20 of us, sometimes 75 of us, one by one, just pour out their heart to God, pleading with him to send revival in America, pleading with him to forgive our complacency, pleading with him to, to once again come and, and restore our nation. I believe there are pockets all over the nation, pockets of Christian people who are praying for revival right now because they realize we're, we're about to lose it. And this is a time when the church is needed like never before. And uh, the, 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 the beginning of revival is we're all together in one place like those early Christians who were praying together in that upper room. And then I think God can bless the church. Wow. Bob, this has been a fantastic second conversation picking up from last week. Thank you so much for being here. I have one last question for you before you go. Um, we ask this to all of our guests. Uh -huh. As you know, this is a podcast celebrating unity among the Stone Campbell movement. And um, the slogan is, unity starts with a cup of coffee. So as our final question, how do you take your coffee? I guess I am not for unity because I don't drink coffee. I, I am a Christian, and I feel like Christian. I don't even associate with other people who drink coffee. <laughs> That's a great ending with this whole podcast. Is That's the kind of thing that can really divide us. You know, my mother and dad, my brother, mother and dad drank so much coffee. It was the aroma of coffee was in our house growing up, and for some reason, I never developed a taste for it. And I, I often wish I had because I'm offered coffee all the time and I, I, uh, I, I'm not very sociable. <laughs> That's a terrible, Bob, way, terrible way to end the podcast. But I what, You wouldn't believe how many uh, of our guests don't. Here we have this slogan and how many of our guests don't drink coffee. So we're not 
certainly not uniting around the fruit of the bean at all. Um, but <laughs> you've sure given us wonder. a lot of other. Should we? <laughs> yeah, give we're up wondering coffee, about Kevin. Like, <laughs> is this we a salvation to... thing? You start Maybe calling the beer. Say... You start calling it a beer summit. That's when I'm going to have trouble with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we we may say unity starts with a cup of grape juice. I think at least we've all got something very much in common there. Bob, it has just been a real, uh, both a privilege and a blessing uh, to have this dialogue, this conversation with you. And I've gained so much myself, and I know our listeners have, from your responses to our questions. And we so thank you for uh, giving us your time, um, all your encouragement and insights. Uh, we hope you'll come back and be with us again. Maybe we can get Rick Ashley, your co-author of, of one of your books there, uh, together again to join you. Um, would you like to say anything to kind of close out with our, our group? Well, I do hope you get Rick Ashley because he's one of my favorite people. But I want to thank you uh, for your graciousness to me. But more importantly, I want to thank you for making the effort to reach out and appeal for unity. As you can tell, I'm very passionate about that. And uh, I just pray God's blessing on you because it is so needed. And your website is is bobrussellministries.com. Am I correct on Bob that? bobrussellministries.org. Uh-huh. .org. I write, I write a blog every, every week. Uh, it gives me a chance to vent now that I'm not a preacher. So... Uh, <laughs> Well, folks, visit the website. I read Bob's blog, and I'm always blessed by it. Thank you again. And Megan, good to be with you again this week. We look forward to being back with you folks next week for another podcast on Common Grounds Unity. Thanks for being with us. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast with Megan and Kevin. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources, and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember... Unity starts with a cup of coffee.